Welcome to the Fatherhood Podcast. I'm your host, Jamar Hudson, and you're in the fatherhood. As a new member of the hood, my goal is to use this podcast as a platform to talk about my journey as a new father. Part therapeutic, part informative, part educational. My goal is to talk about everything, from adjusting to getting no sleep, to changing diapers, to just hoping I get everything right. This podcast will be a space to share with you the joys, challenges, and fears of being a first-time father. What's up, everyone? Welcome to episode 22 of the Fatherhood Podcast. I'm your host, Jamar Hudson. I'm very excited about today's guest, and if you've been following the show, you know that I try to keep episodes between 35 and 45 minutes, give or take. But today, to be honest with you, I could spend 30 minutes alone just going through the resume and background of today's guest. He's that accomplished, and I'm very excited. But I'm going to let his interview speak for itself. So with that being said, I'd like to welcome my man, Joe Briggs, to the Fatherhood Podcast. Joe, what's going on, man? What up? How y'all doing today? Great, great. I'm so, I'm so glad we're able to get you on the show, Joe. Like I said, man, you you have an outstanding resume, and I think you're going to provide a lot of value uh, to our listeners, man. So before we get into today's topic, Joe, just tell our listeners uh, about yourself. Oh, man, I'm just a little poor country kid from Polk <laughs> County, Florida, that keeps lucking up into uh, better positions, and life has been fortunate for me. I mean, I don't know how detailed you want me to get, so you have to provide me a little bit of direction. As as right. details you want to go, man. Where you're from, your professional career, background. I know you have some 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 football in there. You want to talk about? Just just let the people know all about you. Okay. All right. Well, uh, I'm originally from a small town called Dundee, Florida. Um, went to Haines City High School in Haines City, Florida. I graduated early from Haines City High School. Uh, my last year, senior year in high school, I went to Texas Christian University. Uh, after spending four years and earning four letters at TCU. Uh, my last football game was uh, victory against the University of Southern California in the Sun Bowl in 1998. Uh, I rushed uh, through my spring semester uh, because I was pledging and also preparing myself for a possible run at the National Football League. Um, finished, graduated, the day after I graduated from TCU, I got into a car accident that ended my football career. So uh, I had to transition or fast forward to the next part of my transition plan, find a job, spend some time working in corporate America, uh, worked at a logistics supervisor for a logistics company that was a service provider to Texas Instruments. I was on site at Texas Instruments managing all their shipping and receiving. So you know those cool TI-83 calculators um, I used to help manage those, the process for those getting made uh, and the shipments of all the stuff coming into the building to go into those calculators and the shipments of stuff going out of the building when those calculators were put together. Uh, got bored doing that after about a year and a half. Uh, did a really good job. Learned a lot from the company I was working for. Decided that I wanted to go work in education. So uh, I took a job at Florida A&M University on the highest of seven hills in Tallahassee, Florida. Go Rattlers, if any of you are listening. Um, worked for Dr. Frederick Humphreys, uh, who was one of the, if not the best president ever in the history of Florida A&M University uh, as his special assistant. Uh, worked for the university for about three years while also in grad school, earned a master's degree from FAMU. 
while I was there, I noticed that every time I would do something, I had to check in with the lawyers. Hmm. <laughs> we had outside lawyers and all of the things that we did with the legislature usually included lawyers as well. My job was to help with our lobbying efforts for the university and also to do some work in the president's office around our organization, uh, the board of trustees uh, of the university. Uh, so I started seeing the lawyers everywhere. Uh, so after I finished grad school, I told the president I was going to go to law school. He asked me to stay on for one year when the new president came uh, because he was retiring. I did. And then in 2003, after the new president had been onboarded, I left with the law school. Uh, graduated from law school at Florida State University. Um, after Florida State University, I took a fellowship in the United States Senate, uh, working on executive authority issues and banking issues for a senator from Florida. Uh, and while I was working in the United States Senate as a legal fellow, uh, a job opening was posted uh, with the NFL Players Association. I took a shot at the job, and 13 seasons later, I am still serving men in the National Football League as counsel at the NFL Players Association. Outstanding, man. And for all your accomplishments, Joe, I'm pretty sure you'd say one of your most important roles, if not the most important role, is that of a father, man. So tell our listeners about, about your family. Yeah, so family stuff is kind of integrated within that, right? Like, So I met uh, my wife as a young lawyer or actually a law student. She was my first internship coordinator at a law firm uh, that I worked at after my first year of law school. Um, I waited until after the internship was over with, and then I asked her out on a date. And we've been together, I guess, for 16 years since then. Uh, having said that, we had a son in 2016. Uh, I, I was fortunate enough to name him Joe Jr. Mm -hmm. Put, puts a little bit of pressure on me that I like. Yeah. Uh, he, he was actually born on my grandfather's birthday, uh, which is another thing that actually adds a little bit of a connection between us uh, because I was really close with my uh, maternal grandfather. Great, Joe. So so staying right there, man, what does being a father mean to you personally? Uh, to me, being a father means so much, right? Like, not only is it an opportunity for me to make the world a better place, but it's also um, an opportunity for me to help this young mind see the world in a way that they want to. And I think that that often gets missed in the fatherhood conversation. Uh, sure, I, I have a responsibility for safety and health and all that other stuff that goes along with just being a parent. But uh, the vision keeper role is one that I take on and take very seriously. Seeing what my kid sees and trying to help enhance and let him grow naturally uh, in that space that he's creating for himself is something that I think is really cool. And that's one of the best things about fatherhood to me. Outstanding, man. So going back to you, you mentioned your grandfather early and the 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 fact that your your son was actually born on, on the same day as your grandfather. So who did you pattern your approach to fatherhood um, after? Who are some examples growing up, maybe in your professional life? You say, hey, once I become a dad, this is who I want to be like. Yeah, yeah. So obviously my grandfather was a strong influence on me as well as my own father. And then I, I'm fortunate in that I went to college and played football with a bunch of really great guys. 
uh, most of whom got married while I was playing around and getting <laughs> my master's degree and graduate degrees, law degree. Uh, so by the time I came into fatherhood, their kids were further along and I had an opportunity to actually look at my peers and my former teammates as great examples of fatherhood. You know, most of whom got married, have been married for the last 19, 18 years. Kids are graduating from high school. Most of them, if not all of them, I think have scholarship offers, multiple scholarship offers, mm-hmm. full rides, athletic, academic. You know, these are great paragons of what it meant to be fathers and also upstanding men in the community. So um, in my professional life, I've had some great bosses. Um, you know, I, I worked for a great senator. I worked for great executive directors at the NFL Players Association, starting under Gene Upshaw, now working under Demora Smith. Uh, and every chief executive that I've worked for, uh, with the exception of one, has also been a man of color, right? Like, and a personal mentor to me. So yeah. it's been awesome seeing how their their leadership style and approach uh, has allowed them to continue to being successful, even in a space where that's not usually the case. So, so your son is Joe is coming up on three year three years old. Um, how would you say that fatherhood has changed you and your approach to life uh, since twenty sixteen? Yeah, so he, you know, he, he in the three years that I've had him in my life as a part of my life, I've changed the way that I travel, the way that I move. Perhaps as aggressive uh, uh, as I used to be, I'm not as aggressive as I used to be with some of that stuff. I have a desire to be home, right? Like I don't have a desire to go to the latest brunch spot or hang out at yeah. a happy hour with the great wings or, you know, go find the best drink in town anymore. And I don't uh, want to spend that extra night on the road when I'm traveling so that I can check out the city. I'd rather take a late flight, get home, wake up the next morning and have my son run in my bedroom and, you know, jump up and down on my head, wake, yeah. telling me to wake up. Yeah. And for you, man, you, you wear a lot of hats, both professionally um, and in the community here in D.C. So how do you balance that? I mean, you know, you have you have these these things that are pulling at you from different directions, but at the same time, you still want to be present and make your son a priority. So how do you balance the two? Um, just scheduling, <laughs> having a great outlook calendar, uh, having great reminders, um, and also making sure that you make a priority to block off time for that, which is truly important. Making sure that your support system is good as well, right? Like uh, not just your your other parent, but also um, your daycare, your your uh, nanny. Not we don't have a nanny, but our uh, babysitter. Yeah. You know, we have a babysitter. We have a couple of babysitters that are choice that we pay a premium because we know. They're good to our kid, and they also make us a priority when we need stuff in an emergency, right? Like having uh, cousins and and friends in town that can help you manage your schedule, and then just making sure, like sometimes making the making the tough call of, yeah, it's gonna suck today because I have five different events to go to, but you got to make it happen. Like for instance, a couple weekends ago, I had to speak to a Black Law Students Association at George Washington's. Uh, George Washington University, and they wanted me to come in on a Saturday. I spent my Saturdays with my son. I told him, if you want me to come in, my son has to come with me. So on the panel, you'll, you may have seen pictures uh, of me sitting on the panel speaking with my son asleep on my lap <laughs> um, because it's his time. 
right? Like I got to go wherever he wants to go. And right now he wants me to be with him. He wants to be asleep. You want me on this panel. I want to be on the panel, but you have to accept that he's going to be here with me. Now, if that's a problem, I could skip your panel. I'm not skipping out on my son. So has it, has it been hard for you to learn how to say no, or have you gotten used to doing it now? No, it wasn't hard for me to learn how to say no when I knew uh, to other people, when I knew a no to them was a yes to my son. Mm-hmm. Not hard at all. Uh, because if I if I have to choose between an opportunity and my son, I'm choosing my son. Absolutely. Absolutely. So how is your, your work in the community, the things you do, speaking on panels, you know, your work with the NFLPA, how has that helped you, if at all, um, in fatherhood and possibly, you know, some things you've applied in your community work to fatherhood? Well, it lets me know what some of the pitfalls are in our community, right? Hmm. Like it's engaged. I've been engaged in trying to figure out education policy in the city for a while, talking to my council member, talking to folks that I know that work in that space, trying to just figure out what we can do to support the school system and to support those parents who are left behind. So I've gone to a number of schools and, you know, spoken to those schools, you know, the football guy coming in and talk about stuff is usually a pretty good entry. But then I stick around and I talk to the the teachers and I talk to the students. That's been one of the things that's helped me the most about this fatherhood piece, because now my son at three years old is getting ready to get into pre-K three. We did the lottery this year. And, you know, you're living in D.C., living in in cities. That's big. Right. Like it's huge. Right. People are making living life and death situations about this lottery stuff, like literally moving, moving their entire family across town and so that they can get in the right school and the right zone and all that stuff. So, you know, that's one of the ways it's helped me because I have a network of people that I can ask questions to because I've been out in the community doing the work. Um, and also it's made me want to do the work even more because my son was born in DC. My son is a DC native. Mm -hmm. So now I have to work in this community because this is his community. You know, whereas before I was a visitor to DC that I, you know, I've been here for a number of years, but this is different for him because he's born here, you know, forever. He's going to be, I'm from DC. So I got to make sure that I'm taking care of the city that I have to give to him when he's old enough to take it. Yeah, man, you you and my son are similar in that regard. Emory was born in in D.C. last year, so this is home for him. He's a D.C. native. And and like you, I'm learning about how cutthroat it is with daycare and schooling. And that's something that I'm not dealing with now, but in two or three years, I'm definitely going to have to be faced uh, with that. But for both of us, Joe, being fathers of sons and and black boys, there are some things that we are going to have to prepare them for that, you know, other races, other cultures are not really going to have to deal with. So how do you plan to approach those topics with him? And have you thought about that yet? Yeah, I've started talking through some of that stuff with him simply because he's a larger kid. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm a large guy. My kid's already in the 99th percentile wow. for height and weight and all that other stuff, right? Like, so when, when acts of aggression happen, people see it. Mm-hmm even at three years old. So we talk to him every day about integrity. When we're in the car going to school, we go through what is integrity. We talk about it. When we talk about what is leadership, we talk about, you know, what does it mean to keep your hands to yourself? What does it mean um, to, to, you know, to go through these principles that we're trying to make sure that he understands now so that we can flip and make sure we're teaching him consequences as well, because that's important Um, because that's really what that should be that conversation should be about. It shouldn't always have to hinge on race. And I say that not because I don't focus on race 
I say that because sometimes the people that put him in those situations will make it seem like race had nothing to do mm-hmm. with it. So I don't want him to miss it because he was focused and looking for one thing when it actually came at him a different way. Yeah. Yeah. Talking to Joe Briggs today on the Fatherhood Podcast. Glad to have him with me. And Joe, is it's is your involvement in the in political community here in DC, you see up close what's what's going on uh in today's landscape. So as a father, what concerns you most um about where we're headed as we approach twenty twenty? The thing that concerns me the most is that people aren't paying attention to voter suppression. Mm-hmm. Um, and the various ways that voter suppression is playing out across the United States of America. There are a bunch of different state legislatures that are moving and changing the way they're moving the ball They're changing the way that people can register to vote. They're changing the way that you can help people uh, get to the polls so that they can cast their vote and have their vote be uh, not only counted, but their voice be heard. And I think that those small moves that are happening all around us are going to end up becoming small fires around the country that end up burning us all if we're not careful. Um, So I'm concerned about that. And the overall level of civic engagement that I see is mostly outrage at the headlines without many people getting into the article and even less people getting into the policy. Um, And then far less people actually showing up. You know, one of the things that I always do whenever I see, you know, some major incident happen in a city, I go to that city's website, I look at the city's budget, Mm -hmm. and I break down what the values are of that city based on where they're spending their money. So it becomes a lot less, um, it becomes a lot less shocking that something happened when the thing that happened is right in alignment with the things that they spend their money on. You're, you're surprised that police brutality happened in the city when 65% of the city's budget went to police. Mm. You can't be surprised. That's where you spend all your money. That's what's happening yeah. in your city. Yeah. So, so what kind of questions should we as fathers, especially black fathers, what should we be asking about? What should we be looking for? What, what are some things that we need to be doing? It, it, for my son, I always ask if he is participating in his class when I talk to his teachers. I'm always curious as to his level of participation and whether he's showing the things that we talk about. Top two on that list are integrity and leadership. Uh, The things that we need to ask our kids uh, and listening to our kids actively uh, when we ask that question is what happened today? Like, Hmm. What happened today? And then even if the story sounds a little far afield, helping them flesh that story out because you can find out little things in those stories. Like my son told me one day that a tiger scratched another kid in his class. Hmm. Now I know there was no live tiger in his class to scratch the kid, but eventually, you know, it came out that, you know, it was a Daniel the Tiger toy that was in the class and the kid, yeah. you know, had it in his hand. Another kid grabbed it from him and the, 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 the tiger scratched him. Yeah. Now, if I would have just stopped at when he said the tiger scratched kid in my class and I stopped and said, hey, there's no tiger in your class, stop yeah. it, then I, I miss out on this entire conversation that I'm having with this three-year-old that's brilliant and uh, using the best tools that he has to communicate with me. So so that's one way that I would apply it if if I were asked. Great, great. So, so Joe, personally, man, what are what have been some some growing pains, some challenges, or maybe even fears you've had um, thus far as a father? Yeah, 
one of my biggest fears happened a couple of years ago uh, when my son was about one year old. Or actually, it was right before his first birthday uh, when my younger brother was killed by the cops. Mm. Uh, so my younger brother, Jim Briggs, uh, or Jimmy Briggs Jr., uh, is his full name. He uh, was leaving a casino one night in Gardenia, California, uh, with two of his friends. And someone in the parking lot pulled out a gun and started shooting. They called the cops. Uh, the casino called the cops because someone in the parking lot pulled out a gun and started shooting. And my brother heard the gunshots. The door to the car he was getting in wasn't open, so he took off running. Mm-hmm. Uh, to avoid or find some place to hide. Uh, when the cops showed up, they thought my brother, who had ran from the scene, was the person who also shot the gun, according to them. Uh, so they ended up chasing my brother and shooting him uh, nine times, wow. uh, uh, mostly in the back. Um, so, you know, that's a fear that that induces fear in me because my younger brother was really just hanging out with two of his yeah. friends, had just left the casino uh, and was headed home for the night and just never made it home again. Uh, and he had told my mother and my father right before he left that, you know, he loved them and he'll see them yeah. later, just like he did a thousand times before and just like they expected him to do a thousand times in the future. So that that induces a certain level of fear in me for my kid. Right. I see the little kids walking around D.C. all the time. It's a city. You know, kids catch the metro. Kids mm-hmm. move around. This is their city. Um, but I wonder sometimes <laughs> you, you never know when the last time you're going to say goodbye to your son. Yeah. So that that produces a great deal of anxiety in me. Well, old Joe, thank you so much for sharing the story with us, man. That's that's an anxiety I have, too. man. And I think, you know, I guess my question is, how do you, you know, channel that that fear and that anxiety with with allowing your son to grow up and, and have fun do things that, we, that we've done you know go out and hang out when when this happened to you and your family so hebrews 11 1 um now faith is the evidence of things hoped for the substance of things not seen uh it, it, it it's it i have to have faith that everything is going to work out in the way that it's meant to and that even the tragedies that happen have a greater lesson within them. I have to have faith that my son's life is going to be the life that he's expected to have. And I cannot spend it worrying that he cannot do anything for fear that something will happen. That yeah. will be bad for him and it'll make me feel terrible. So yeah. all all I have to all I have left is to fall back on my faith. Definitely, man. Definitely. You know, when we were exchanging notes in preparation for this episode, you were telling me about your brother's passing. And in our conversations, you were mentioning that your, your dad, during the time, was in search of, of, of community of fathers. Um, so generally speaking, man, what is the value um, for fathers to find a village of other dads to to fellowship with, to communicate with, just to get together and just just be? Well, I think that that as a backdrop to that, I think men are really lonely. Mm. And I think fathers, not I think, fathers are also really lonely because um, one, men are lonely primarily because the machismo that we're growing up and taught uh, and all of the stuff that the patriarchy does is bad for everybody else in the world. It's also bad for men. It teaches them not to express their emotions in ways to show their vulnerability. They can't say to their homeboy, man, I'm feeling sad today and i really wish i could just come 
hang out and sit with somebody else in the room. Instead, it has to come out like, hey, bro, you're playing Call of Duty. What's up? <laughs> right? And, and because there's an encoding and decoding there that doesn't really match up with the common frame of reference, sometimes the message is missed. Uh, if that common re- if the decoder of that message isn't thinking through, that's not just a request to go play Call of Duty. That's really him saying, I don't want to be alone right now because my girl just broke up with me. Mm-hmm. Or uh, my mom just you know, had found out she has breast cancer so i'm asking you to play call of duty because i really don't want to sit here with my thoughts and the same thing happens with dads when dads are thinking through all of the information that we have that flies at us every day not only on social media but also on regular media and mainstream media about kids getting killed in in school and kids getting killed in the synagogue and kids getting killed and kids getting killed Mm, and you're sitting in a silo maybe talking to you a significant other maybe talking to your you know, co-workers, but a lot of times men are at home trying to be great dads and they don't really have an outlet uh, to kind of join together and bond and think through the emotional uh, side of all this stuff. So that's one of the reasons why I'm happy uh, to participate in this podcast. And I'm looking for other opportunities to kind of get dads together. You know, I started a separate Twitter called Just a Black Dad because a lot of times when people come at me, they see Joe Briggs, the NFL guy, mm-hmm. or Joe Briggs, the former football player, Joe Briggs, the lawyer. I, I'm just a black dad at the end of the day uh, that has to drop his kid off and has to pick his kid up and wants to see his kid go to sleep at night and wants to see his kid's dreams come true after all that other stuff goes away. Yeah, man. I was going to mention you. You are you are fortunate that you you have a strong network. You have your your football guys. You have your frat brothers. You have a you've cultivated a community of, of friends. I assume that you can go out and reach out to and, and fellowship with it. And, and for me, I'm fortunate enough to have a, a similar network. So, what advice would you give fathers who are who are searching for um, a similar type of community who don't have it? I mean, you got to figure out your community groups. You got to figure out which groups you can join, participate in, find out what is around you, find out, you know, professional organizations, see if there's a way for you to develop relationships with not only other men there, but other men who are fathers in those groups to see how they work out their work-life balance as well. Uh, Also getting involved in your community, Um, homeowners association, learning the people who live around you, figuring out, you know, what's happening in your local state jurisdiction, town hall meetings. You'll find other dads that are there that care about kids. Join your PTA. Dads are there. They care about their kids. And just reach out to your friends and find out what's going on with them. That's another thing. You know, like part of this is sending a text message every year isn't enough. Call guys. Mm-hmm. Call your guys sometimes, man. Just we don't have a problem having relationships. We have a problem cultivating relationships. Absolutely, man. Speaking of speaking of tragedies, Joe, you know, we all, you know, saw uh, Nipsey Hussle, his unfortunate murder a few weeks ago. And for me, it was it was bigger than the music. It was just, you know, knowing that, you know, as a father that hurt me and that that hit me and touched me, um, knowing that he wouldn't be around um, to be see his kids grow up. And you actually took a trip out to L.A. and visited um, his marathon store and were able to kind of take in that that environment. Tell our listeners a little bit about that experience. So, you know, part of my, t- my time, I said I was from Dundee, Florida, but I also lived in Los Angeles from 1988 until 1993. 
And then I came back to Florida after the riots broke out um, to finish up high school. Uh, but my brother stayed, my older brother, he stayed, and most of my family stayed in California. Uh, and my older brother stays at 54th and 6th Avenue, uh, which is about four blocks away from Nipsey's store. Hmm. So I'm very familiar with the area, right? For years, I've gone there. I stay with my brother when I go to L.A., when I'm not going for work. Like, I'm very, very familiar with the cross, Crenshaw and Slauson cross streets and where Nipsey's store was. And also with a bunch of the guys that were very close with Nipsey because they all grew up with my brothers and I living in L.A. from a very young age. Um, so to go to the store and see the, the development um, that he was putting together and what was an area that uh, no one really had faith in before the train started coming and <laughs> gentrification mm-hmm. sped up. Uh, it was monumental to see the people from different neighborhoods that usually do not talk to each other, associate with each other, and definitely are friendly with each other, uh, come together to celebrate a person who has moved the community in a positive direction. It's a huge loss uh, for us to lose a guy like Nipsey, uh, but it is hopefully going to be turned into a greater positive because the people around him see the efficacy in his plan and hopefully Mm -hmm. take that plan across the finish line because the marathon continues. Absolutely, man. Joe, really appreciate you joining me on the Father Podcast, man. Last question for you, I'll let you go. You you were speaking of Nipsey, who was heavily involved in the community and doing some things out there in Crenshaw, and you being so involved in D.C., what what advice would you give fathers who want to, you know, be involved in the community, want to do some things and try to make a difference, but just don't know really where to start? Well, the first place to start if you're a father is with your kid. Mm-hmm. Find out who your kid is. Let them tell you who they are. Figure out what it is that they love, what they're interested in, and go with it. Get deeply immersed in it. Go into the library. Figure it out. Get on the internet. Google. Find out who the people are in that area that can help your kid be the best at what they want to do. And even if they change or switch up, um, the time that you put into trying to support your kids goals and dreams will it will be primarily the thing that they remember when they get older they think back on this time of their lives and that you can't there's no price on that that's priceless my man well i really appreciate you joining me before i let you go tell people what you have going on in the community how they can get involved and you know how they can reach you if need be sure uh shout out to the players coalition um i'm uh, a person inside the NFL Players Association that supports the Players Coalition and the work that they're doing uh, at Players Coalition uh, on Twitter. Uh, you can also uh, get down with Impact uh, that's still out in the community doing smaller projects these days uh, at Team Impact on Twitter and social media. Um, also, uh, just working through stuff at Georgetown University. I'm also an adjunct professor there working in ethics. Uh, So we may have a sports ethics conference coming up at Georgetown within the next year or so, working on planning uh, for that as well. Uh, But if you need me, you can always find me on Twitter at Joe Briggs ESQ. All right, my man. Thank you for joining me on the Fatherhood Podcast. No problem. Thank you for having me. Peace.
I want to thank my man Joe Briggs for joining me on the show today. And as always, thank you for listening. You've been listening to the Fatherhood Podcast, hosted by yours truly, Jamar Hudson. And as always, if you've enjoyed today's episode, be sure to share it with your friends, post it on social media, and leave a rating and review on iTunes. As always, you can find the show on social media at the Fatherhood Podcast on Instagram. And on Facebook, you can like the Fatherhood Podcast page. You can catch me on my personal pages at Jamar Hudson on Instagram and Twitter. This podcast drops every Saturday and can be found on major streaming platforms such as Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, Overcast, and TuneIn. Until next week, you guys have a great weekend. I'm Jamar Hudson, and this is The Fatherhood. <laughs>